and to all of you everywhere that you are, and it's just the Father within me that uh, has to say to those of you who are out in the courtyard that uh, stay hydrated out there and do be aware that uh, there is the uh, cooling down rooms in the children's auditorium, and uh, uh, that, is a, that room gets nice and cool, so if you need, find the need to slip in there, uh, uh, don't hesitate to do that, and then also uh, in the portables. And so let's turn in our Bibles tonight to uh, Luke chapter 5 this evening. And Sunday night, we study the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and we pick things up in uh, chapter 5 and uh, verse uh, 17. Now, it happened on a certain day as he, that is Jesus, was teaching, uh, there uh, were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was uh, present uh, uh, to heal them. And so uh, Jesus is teaching in a home. And uh, uh, we know from the other Gospels that uh, the crowd is so great that nobody can fit into the house it's absolutely jammed. Everywhere there are windows. It's I don't know how many deep with people hungry to listen to Jesus. The Jewish religious leaders have come from uh, north and south of in Israel uh, to come and to hear him, unfortunately, to try and find fault with him and his teaching to find an excuse for rejecting his claims as Messiah and the Son of God. That will be a fruitless uh, chase of theirs all the way through uh, his death, burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and even into this uh, day. And, uh, but this extraordinary, beautiful power, uh, healing power of the Lord was uh, present in, in, this, um, in, in all of this. We know from Matthew's gospel that this occurred in the city of Capernaum, which was the headquarters of Jesus' uh, public ministry. And, uh, and it's Mark that tells us that this teaching was occurring uh, in, in, uh, in a specific home. And then behold, men uh, come upon the scene and they uh, brought on a bed, so either some kind of a plank of wood or uh, maybe a rug or something that's being held on all four corners by the friend, but uh, by the friends of this man. And the man was lying upon the bed and he was paralyzed, so unable to walk at all, unable to uh, come himself to Jesus physically. And, uh, and so they uh, brought the man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and to lay uh, before Jesus. And so here's this beautiful faith of these friends. And I think it uh, speaks something very encouraging uh, to us. And we have friends in our life, and um, many of them are Christians. Perhaps most of them are Christians the longer we uh, walk. But we know and have many people in our lives that uh, are not yet Christians. And here they have the confidence. They realize that this man's situation is absolutely hopeless and um, that only Jesus can fix this, uh, heal this issue in his life. And the beautiful uh, picture of the fact that if we will bring our friends to Jesus, bring them into contact with him by sharing the gospel or speaking of something uh, to them, then Jesus will always be faithful to take that the rest of the way. 
And it's not our responsibility to do God's job in, pe in, in people's lives, but to simply be concerned, to look at them. And most often, uh, very often, the widest door that is opened up to us uh, to share the gospel with people, or uh, maybe we've already done that many times in their lives, but a chance to do it uh, once more is when something happens in their life that is a situation that is completely hopeless without the intervention of God. And that is the kind of situation that they see here and, uh, and again, to speak, uh, uh, speak to them about the Lord. And the Lord will then take it the rest of the way. There's a, a, one of my neighbors, he's not yet saved, and um, I've shared the gospel with him. And, um, and then got a chance to talk with him yesterday. And he's got a tumor now on his brain, and uh, his spleen is swollen, and all these things. And they're still trying to figure out everything that is going on. And uh, even though I'd shared with him before, here was an opportunity to once again introduce Jesus into the conversation uh, out of a love for him, knowing that if he will come to the Lord, the Lord uh, is able to, uh, to do in what he alone can do in a hopeless uh, situation. And so they bring their friend uh, to him, uh, and without a doubt, uh, as his per paralysis is mentioned here, with the hopes that he would be healed of that paralysis. And uh, so they bring him to the house, absolutely crowded, as Mark's gospel tells us. No hope of even one of them squeezing into the house, let alone four of them holding a friend uh, on a bed. And so when they couldn't find how they might bring him into the room uh, because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and they let down his bed through the tiling uh, in the midst before Jesus. And so they go up on whoever's house this was and they begin to remove tile. And that's quite a distraction uh, to any uh, Bible study that anyone would be teaching Jesus as well. And uh, you look and all, all of a sudden tile is being removed and you wonder what is happening here. And uh, somebody had a good sense of, um, of distance because they figured out how to lower him, just where they might lower him on the roof so that he would land right in front of Jesus as he was uh, teaching in this crowded room. And so they removed the tile and uh, then they lowered uh, their friend down before Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith and uh, the faith of the friends, he said then to the man, uh, man, your sins are forgiven you. I'll never forget the time that I heard uh, Pastor Chuck Smith uh, teach on this so many, many years ago, and he made the observation. He didn't always make this observation as he taught the passage, because I've heard Pastor Chuck teach every passage, every way that, that he taught it, and uh, uh, he's had such an impact upon my life. But uh, he surmised that when uh, Jesus pronounced the forgiveness of sins upon the friend, that they were thinking, and, and uh, Pastor Chuck used the words, he said, uh, no, Lord, not the sin bit, um, the healing, you know, and that, was, and that may very well, most likely was exactly what they had done. They had come to uh, get healing related to their friend, and uh, Jesus, of course, it, it never loses sight of what are the prop, uh, proper priorities in life. And he recognizes no matter what our physical condition might be, paralysis, whatever it might be, 
and however dire our physical condition might be, that our spiritual uh, need is always infinitely more important because that is something that has a determination upon our eternity. And so Jesus goes right to the man's uh, greatest need and uh, he pronounces in in, uh, response to the faith that this man's uh, sins were forgiven him. Well, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, they're all in that room and they begin to reason whether it was going on in their, uh, it, it, it appears that it was going on in their minds. They weren't conferring with each other, as we'll see in a moment. And uh, they object to what Jesus declares here in this environment. And they said, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Uh, who can forgive sins but God alone? And here Jesus declaring uh, the forgiveness of sins of this man, they recognize that this, uh, and correctly recognize that it is only God who can uh, forgive sins. And so they, not recognizing him to be divine, to be the Son of God, they esteemed it to be blasphemy. What they, how they ought to have taken it is that this was one more way in which Jesus was revealing to his audience and to them that he is God, and because he is God, he has the authority to forgive sins. And, uh, and so Jesus, he perceived their thoughts. He knew what they were thinking uh, in their minds. Every once in a while, I'll hear people say, I can't wait to get to heaven. I got a few things I want to talk over with Jesus about what happened, and it'll be a fruitless uh, conversation. He knows what you're going to think before you uh, even think it, and that's a tremendous advantage. And so uh, he knew what they were thinking. He knew the questions that were going on in their minds, and so he answers them. He answers the unspoken question in their mind, and he said, why are you reasoning this thing in your heart? And he doesn't restate what it is that they're reasoning. They were very well aware of what uh, they, they were reasoning. And he posed a question uh, to them. And he said, which is easier to do? Uh, to say to someone, your sins are forgiven, or to say, uh, rise up and uh, walk? And so uh, that's the question that he poses uh, to them. And of course, the obvious answer is that if you're a mere man, a mere woman like, uh, like we are, uh, the easier thing to say is to say, your sins are forgiven. And uh, because to say, for me to say to somebody, your sins are forgiven, there's no demonstrable, uh, measurable, physical way of determining whether that really uh, happened. And so, uh, if, uh, but if a mere man says to someone like this, arise, take up your bed and walk, then it would uh, be immediately obvious whether that person has the power and the authority uh, to do that. You notice that uh, Jesus, he didn't wait for them to answer uh, his question at all, but he goes on, And he says to the paralytic, uh, but that you may, or he says to the audience, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, take up your bed 
and go to your house. And immediately he rose up before them, uh, took up what he had been laying on, and uh, departed to his own house and absolutely uh, glorifying uh, God. And so Jesus here demonstrates his authority to forgive sins, and he demonstrates it with a miracle uh, that nobody could uh, question at, uh, at all. And so what an exciting day for that audience, what an exciting day uh, for that, uh, that man. The reaction of the crowd is given to us. They were all amazed and they glorified God and they were filled with fear. That is the fear, the reverence of God saying, uh, we have seen strange things uh, today. And so they rejoiced in Jesus' power to heal and his authority uh, to forgive sins. And so uh, it's good for us to be reminded that the greatest a gift, the greatest miracle that a person can ever experience in life is the forgiveness of sins. Everything else pales uh, in comparison uh, to that. And every Christian has experienced that miracle within our lives and God gives the evidence of his uh, his, uh, Jesus gives the evidence of his authority to forgive sins by then producing, as he did with this paralyzed man, uh, a changed life. And so tonight here we sit, and, and for us as Christians, um, our forgiveness is something that we uh, live with. It's a reality within our lives. We're strong in it. And some of us have walked with the Lord for uh, months. Some of us have walked with the Lord for decades and decades. And it just becomes a part of our identity. It's something that we work from. It's an assurance that we work from. And uh, it is good to just stop and think tonight, right here under the beauty of this passage, and to just marvel and to thank God, thank Jesus once again for the forgiveness of sins and then the changed life that he's produced in each of us is an evidence of that uh, forgiveness of sins. We're so rich and we have so many things to be thankful for and sometimes it's just important to stop and re remind ourselves of these uh, blessings that are our portion uh, all day, every day. And then after these things, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi uh, sitting at the tax table. And he said to Levi, follow me. And, uh, uh, and then Levi left all, he rose up, and he followed him. Now, uh, the, uh, this Levi here that is uh, spoken of is his name here. Uh, he is going to ultimately become one of the 12 apostles and uh, he's going to become uh, renamed to become known more familiarly to us uh, as Matthew. And uh, the, uh, the author, God would ultimately use this man to author the gospel uh, according to Matthew. And because uh, the gospel according to Matthew is just absolutely full of Old Testament quotations, it indicates that Matthew was extremely well-versed in, uh, in the Old Testament. And, he, uh, and he, he knew the Old Testament scriptures very, very well. 
And there's a, a very good reason for it. The fact that he was named Levi, which is an indication that he was from the tribe of Levi, which was the priestly tribe in Israel, and that his entire life uh, in his being raised through his youth and into his early adult life uh, was a preparation to one day serve as a Levite at the temple in the worship of the Lord. But something happens in Matthew's life uh, that makes all of that go uh, sideways. And it has been speculated, and I think it's a very, very uh, sanctified speculation uh, related to that, that it isn't unlikely that Matthew, as he finishes all of his training and he comes then to Jerusalem to begin what would be, in, in his mind, a lifetime of service there uh, at the temple, that when he came into contact with a, a tender heart for God, comes into contact with all of the hypocrisy, all of the greed, all of the covetousness, the fact that Judaism had been hijacked under the Sadducees and the Pharisees into becoming a hypocritical money-making uh, machine. And when he comes uh, there to serve the Lord with an innocence and with a, uh, a, a, a without guile, he is so disgusted by uh, what he sees that whether it took days or whether it took weeks or months, uh, but ultimately he just checked out. And uh, almost as if he thought, listen, if this life is all about power and about hypocrisy and making money and stealing money, then I'm not going to be a hypocrite about it. I'm not going to hide uh, behind religion to do it. I'm going to go out and I'm going to be an out-and-out -out materialist. And I am going to be an out-and-out -out capitalist. And I, uh, and I am going to be an honest thief. I will be a tax collector and I won't hide the fact that I'm a thief the way that the religious leaders were uh, hiding all of that. I'm going to do it all openly as a, a tax collector. And I think that he was just sickened by what he would see. And, and there's no indication in Levi that any religious leader could come to him and scorn him and uh, shame him in any way. He, he was beyond all of that. He didn't care what any religious people or non-religious people thought of him uh, at all in, uh, in this regard. And nobody could look down on him because he knew the true inner workings of what Judaism had become under those religious leaders. And thinking, I don't care what they think of me, I know in my heart that I'm more honest uh, than them. And then one day, here is Levi, up in the north, very far. He's gotten very far away from Jerusalem. He goes up into the Galilee region. He becomes a tax collector. And then one day... He comes into contact uh, with Jesus, and he hears Jesus. And in seeing Jesus, uh, he now sees in him everything that God was like, as Levi had read in the Scriptures throughout of all of his childhood and his youth. And when he heard Jesus teach... He didn't hear these carefully crafted kind of manipulations of the scriptures and selective choosing of verses that had become a part of Judaism at that time. He heard someone 
preach the Word of God and teach the Word of God uh, clearly and directly uh, and with a, a, a integrity uh, that the Word of God deserves and, and, uh, and bringing it forth. And, and, uh, and as he watched Jesus' life, he could recognize in Jesus that he was the Messiah based upon the Old Testament prophetic scriptures uh, concerning Messiah and the scriptures that he knew so well. And what uh, uh, Jesus did with Matthew and with Levi is, is what he has done to so many people uh, through the years. He knocks out from under uh, Levi every excuse for becoming a disciple of Jesus. And one of the greatest excuses that people will have for rejecting Christianity, rejecting Jesus Christ, uh, reject us, uh, rejecting assembling with God's people is awful, terrible, carnal, ugly uh, corruption and hypocrisy and covetousness within some kind of a religious institution that claims to rec uh, represent God and they say, I don't want anything to do with it. And then ultimately, God never gives up. Jesus never gives up on such a person. Ultimately, Jesus comes to that person and says, you follow me. He doesn't say follow me and what the religion of what the Sadducees and the Pharisees had put together. He said, you follow me. And one of my favorite descriptions of Jesus in this regard is found in the book of Revelation where he is described as the singular, the faithful and true witness. And the idea is that he alone is the faithful and true witness of, uh, of God and that's who we have to make our decision concerning uh, becoming a Christian, becoming his disciple is not how poorly he or, or well he's been represented by others, but to look at his life in the light of the scriptures and then come to the, your conclusion related to him on the basis of that. And Jesus knows that if anybody is willing to do that, that they will, be, they will uh, become his disciple. Well, Matthew uh, or Levi here is uh, so excited about all of this that he gave Jesus a great feast in his own house. And there was a great number of tax collectors and others uh, who sat down uh, with them. So again, as we've seen earlier, the tax collectors were so despised uh, by uh, Jews in general and certainly by the religious establishment because they were uh, they, uh, collecting taxes for Rome and they were collecting taxes from the Jewish people and the Jewish people represented, uh, uh, considered Rome to be an occupying force, to be repressors. And so these people, uh, about the only company that they had were, were fellow tax collectors, uh, but Levi, he invites all of them to a uh, come and meet Jesus, come and meet who I'm leaving all of this to now follow uh, banquet. And so they came and uh, their scribes and the Pharisees as they uh, were present in some regard, they complained against uh, his disciples as the disciples were present as well. And they said, uh, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? It's interesting that uh, they don't go to Jesus himself. 
And this is uh, crafty on their part. This kind of person uh, rarely does. So they don't want to go to Jesus. What they're trying to do is they're trying to, to uh, sow a, uh, a discontent. They're trying to sow uh, the idea in the minds of the disciples that what Jesus is doing is uh, wrong here, to introduce that leaven uh, into their lives. And so these people that kind of slander and work behind the back and all, uh, they know very well how to work a room and uh, work a situation, and that, uh, that is what uh, they, were, uh, they were doing. And so they complained about this. What is Jesus doing in this kind of company? And for the scribes and for the Pharisees and for uh, the religious person, they would look at it, and, uh, and uh, the, the, any person that was serious about God in any way would not keep company with this kind of a person uh, at all. And uh, Jesus then answered and uh, said to them, uh, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous. There are no righteous, uh, uh, but sinners uh, to uh, repentance. And so Jesus uh, responded to their protest and he let them know, uh, I'm not here for the feast supremely. I'm not here for the party. I'm not here for the celebration. I am here because uh, Levi has invited me and I I am here to be an influence uh, for God, an influence for the kingdom of God in the midst of these people and everyone that is at this particular uh, feast and for them to be able to see me up close and to see uh, how different uh, my, my life is. And for sure for Jesus to then uh, speak to them what he was speaking in his ministry at that time, the necessity of being saved, that God is willing to save uh, anyone, even tax collectors, and how to be saved and repent and put their faith in, uh, in Christ. And so uh, Jesus here, that's his reason for being there. So when people can come to a Christian like you and I and say, what are you doing in this environment or in that environment? Now, we should never put ourselves in an environment where we can, uh, that we're not ready for and could fall into sin or an environment that is just uh, absolutely pure uh, evil that is a danger to us. So we're not talking about that kind of situation. We're talking about going to a feast accepting an invitation by someone in order that we could come and be an influence for God in the midst of that barbecue or that feast or that family gathering or Thanksgiving dinner or whatever it it might be. And sometimes there can be a certain kind of Christian like the Pharisees and the the scribes and look down on the fact that we would uh, enter into that uh, environment and Uh, This is what we want to kind of learn from uh, Jesus, why he goes in there. We do have to be careful where somebody doesn't uh, go into this environment, use this as Jesus' life, from his life, as an example of this kind of thing, and then uh, go in and, you know, have uh, have some drinks and and, uh, get slightly buzzed and 
uh, and, then, and then live down to the level of what it is that is going on there. Jesus, of course, would never do that and didn't do that. He came in to be an influence. In any situation that we can uh, uh, come into and be an influence uh, for God, let people see a Christian up close. We're becoming, uh, you know, almost like a freak show now. And, uh, and to, to see the kind of life that God produces and to be able to share with people is a, is a worthy uh, invitation. Now, when uh, Jesus talks about uh, being a physician, uh, Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders. Listen, uh, in effect, in, in, or, uh, in, in order to let people see what I'm like, in order to, uh, uh, to uh, share the truth with them, you have to get close to them. And he uses the illustration of a physician. And when a physician enters into a sick room, a room that is filled with sick people, or a room in which a sick person uh, is, is in that room, he doesn't enter into that room because he loves sickness. And so that would be completely to misread uh, a physician on the level that they were misreading Jesus. A physician comes into the room because he loves the person and because he or she has the ability to address the physical uh, disease that the person has uh, in their life. And Jesus was doing the same thing only on a physical uh, level in, in that room. And so Jesus, he attended the feast, not because he loved sin or because he loved any of the sins that they were practicing, but because he loved them and he knew he was the solution to being freed uh, from their sin. And so he went because he knew he was the lone potential for uh, changing their uh, lives. And so in the same way that a doctor has to get close uh, to a patient, uh, Jesus realized that a Savior needs to get close to sinners to in order uh, to share the diagnosis with the patient and then share uh, the prognosis and then uh, the treatment, which is faith in Christ. And so uh, this, this tells us, and more and more as the culture becomes more and more secular, this is something that we'll find ourselves in more and more. It's mostly our world, even as it is right now. Uh, but these environments that, that uh, we don't want to have a, a false sense, as the religious leaders did, a, a, a sense of separation from sinners uh, that is false and man-made, that looks nothing like Christ, uh, characterize our lives. We are the body of Christ. He is, he, uh, God uses us now to introduce people in a wide variety of situations uh, to, uh, to himself. And so this is why uh, he, he went to, uh, uh, to the feast. And what a great confidence that um, Levi has here. He knows that he is inviting to this feast all of these tax collectors. I mean, this is the most reviled people in the entire nation. And they come and he realizes that there isn't a, anybody that, uh, there is nobody who is so bad, so reviled, has made uh, such terrible decisions in life that I cannot bring them to Jesus. And that's another thing to just stop 
and to think about this incredible blessing that we have in our lives as Christians, to realize that as we run into people, uh, like my neighbor, all of these bumps in life, all of these uh, uh, sins that uh, people can get addicted to and, and, the, and the casualties that we can make of ourselves in life and to realize that I, that I can invite anyone to come to Jesus and uh, Jesus will receive them. And uh, that's really a tremendous confidence that we have uh, in our life and it is only because Jesus is the way that he actually is we, we see him in the scriptures that allows us to have um, that, uh, that kind of, uh, uh, of confidence and then in um, verse 33 uh, they said to him uh, the religious leaders why do uh, the disciples of John fast often and make prayers so here we get a little insight further insight into John the Baptist he was not only a baptizer uh, but he also had disciples and he trained people he was the last of the Old Testament prophets so he trained them under that uh, that covenant and trained them in uh, the necessity of repentance and waiting for the coming of Messiah and so forth but he also taught his disciples, uh, as we see, how to pray and then also uh, the importance of fasting. And so that was something that was a part of his discipleship, of his disciples, and likewise, uh, those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. Now, the Pharisees taught all of their disciples to fast, and, and, uh, and uh, in fact, there were two days of the week in the regular uh, weekly, week in and week out of, of the, the pharisaical uh, religious activity calendar in which were two days that were given to uh, fasting in some regard. And so it wasn't a matter of whether you were fasting associated with any kind of a reality in life or that God had directed you to fast, or you were fasting related to a situation, they had just ritualized it. It was just something now that you did as a, uh, as a, a ritual to prove that you were serious about, uh, about God. And so they, they noticed the disciples. They don't see any fasting going on uh, with them, and they ask, why don't they do that? I mean, this is in violation of, of John the Baptist, in violation of... Uh, of, uh, of, of the Pharisees. And Jesus then said to them, can you make friends of the bridegroom, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? And Jesus is saying to them essentially, uh, ladies and gentlemen, in case you haven't noticed, what you are in the middle of in terms of my service my, or, or my ministry, Jesus is in the middle year of his three years of public ministry, uh, the year of popularity. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't noticed, you are not in the middle of a funeral. You are in the middle of a marriage. You are in the middle of a celebration. People are hearing the gospel. The, the lepers are being cleansed. The, uh, those that are uh, sick are being healed. People are responding to the gospel. Uh, anytime he opens his mouth to teach, the crowds are too big to, big to handle any kind of setting uh, that he's in. And so he's telling them, listen, I mean, I know you've got, you've got this thing down to a ritual that you just fast to fast, but 
you've got to think about what you're in the middle of. You, you don't invite uh, a bride, a, a groom doesn't in, invite his groomsmen uh, to a wedding and then call on them to fast. It's not appropriate for the environment. That is a time to feast. And then Jesus said, but the days will come when the bridegroom will be, uh, uh, will be taken out of the way, speaking of himself as a bridegroom, speaking of his death, uh, that he will be taken away from them, that is the disciples, and then they will fast in those days. And so it was when Jesus was crucified and, um, and uh, uh, then for those days between his uh, 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 death upon the cross and his resurrection, that was a time where clearly uh, that was no longer a wedding. Uh, that was really a cause for fasting. And Jesus knew that the disciples would fast and, uh, and in, indeed uh, they did. His second response to all of this is in verse 36 when he spoke a parable uh, to them, to the Jewish religious leaders about what his ministry is about and uh, that the, uh, the, the foundation uh, behind uh, the question that they posed him about fasting was in essence trying to bring him uh, back under their, uh, kind of under the law. Why aren't you doing things in line with uh, the Old Testament law or with the, with the covenant or with our traditions that we've uh, brought I- into uh, existence out of, of that law? And Jesus is going to communicate to them that what I am doing in providing mankind with a new covenant Uh, a new basis of relationship with God to mankind and uh, the relationship with God under the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, they are completely incompatible. So if if you don't understand that what I'm uh, doing here is producing something entirely new, then you're going to come to me every single day about fasting or something because of the newness of the thing that I I am uh, uh, doing. And so he spoke a parable to them and he said, no one puts a piece uh, 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 puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. And the idea is you've got a hole in an old garment, and so you cut a patch from a brand new garment or fabric to then patch the old one. Uh, because if you do that, the uh, new uh, fabric will then make a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And so you take uh, a piece of of fabric from new cloth, and in those days, of course, there were no pre-shrunk uh, 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 clothing or fabrics or anything like that. So if you were to take a new fabric, put it on an old piece of cloth, and then shrink them both, you'd end up with this pucker. I mean, it would, it would shrink up and it would make the garment uh, even worse than the whole, and then if you were to wear it, it would create even a bigger uh, tear Within, uh, within the garment. And then, uh, of course, to patch it with, uh, patch a garment with another piece of, of fabric, it wouldn't match to begin with. And that's what Jesus is communicating uh, uh, to them here and uh, in the example of, of all of this, that what the old covenant was 
and, uh, 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 and uh, what was accomplished there through it and what I'm doing in establishing a new covenant in my blood, they are incompatible. They are, they are in relationship with one another, but it is a new thing that is being birthed through Jesus in, in human history and as the authority to do that as the Messiah and as the Son of God and all of it completely in line with the Old Testament. Some of us are old enough to have lived before there were pre-shrunk fabrics, it's certainly uh, in terms of cotton. And uh, you, you, some of you might remember where you'd go get a pair of, of Levi jeans. And um, boy, you could ski on them. They were so stiff and so hard. And you, uh, you would, uh, 501s, and you would buy them uh, many sizes bigger than uh, they needed to be because they would shrink over several washings and then they would finally uh, fit. And in those days, it was like for a lot of us, not for everybody, but you, you would buy a pair of jeans uh, uh, once a year and that would last you for the year, and uh, those genes were up to the task. But uh, you realized how much shrinkage could uh, occur, and, uh, and, and especially if you were to put something like that old fabric of Levi on a new uh, hole in a, a new pre-shrunk fabrics, it, it would only make things uh, worse, incompatible. And then he goes on and he declared that no one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled and the wineskins will be uh, ruined. And so in those days when they would, uh, they would store wine, one of the ways they stored wine was in animal skins, uh, whether it would be goat skin or it would be sheep skin. And they would put the new wine into that skin and then seal it. And then the wine would ferment. And as it would ferment, it would stretch out the skin uh, the skin would then become rigid in, in that final form. You would drink the wine. And if you thought about putting new wine into that old wine skin, now that it's become stretched and rigid, as the new wine would ferment, it would, uh, it would uh, then tear uh, and, and create a bursting within the old wine skin, and you would lose both the wine skin and the new wine. Again, uh, that would they would be incompatible, and uh, the Old Testament uh, to encumber the New Covenant uh, with the Old Covenant, except to understand it as something that came to uh, expose us as sinners, to expose our need for a Savior, to recognize Jesus as that Savior. Once it's done that job in our lives, uh, then it has been the schoolmaster that it's important to be to us. And now we move, as we put our trust in Christ, fully into uh, this new uh, covenant. We're not back under the old uh, covenant in any kind of way. And so Jesus said, and the application of it, but new wine must be put in new wineskins, and both are then preserved. And no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new, for he says, the old is better. And this speaks to the fact that um, people generally don't like change. And uh, change is hard for people. 
And, and uh, so Jesus readily recognized that this new thing that I'm doing, uh, you know, you're not liking it, and, uh, and, it's, and it's hard for you here. You think the old way is better, but um, that's your, just your resistance to change. It's because all you've known is the old uh, wine and the old wineskins, and uh, you haven't tasted the new just yet. And so... Uh, there, there is that tendency and there is no, probably no group as a whole in the world than religious people, including uh, Christians, who are uh, hesitant for uh, change. We like the old ways and God almost has to force new ways uh, uh, upon us. But Jesus acknowledges uh, the struggle that people can have uh, with change. But the change between from the Old Testament and the Old Covenant to the New Testament and the New Covenant is so dramatic and, and such a, an improvement and fulfillment of the Old Testament that whatever is required of anybody in order to um, accommodate or get used to that change is worth all of it. And so we'll stop there tonight in the heat of uh, the Central Valley on this uh, warm August night. And, uh, and I assume it's still warm out there in the courtyard. I was driving to church tonight, and I was driving down Pellendale, and my little temperature gauge on my car said 108, and I turned and did the loop uh, to come back to the church, and, and coming in this direction on Pellendale, it was 106, and by the time I got into the church, it read 105, so I'm going to drop three degrees in, in a minute. So I don't know if all of you are putting on sweaters out there, uh, with just a plunge of, of the temperature, but I know uh, that hasn't uh, uh, been the case. And so uh, you say, uh, why don't you stop, Pastor? It's hot out here. And so I will stop as I intended prior to that uh, explanation. And we'll stand and we'll ask the worship team to come out and uh, close us up in a worship song. And we'll see you out there shortly for some fellowship. Lord, we thank you so much for the new way that you give us to live, the new way to, for how to look at life, how to look at the kingdom of God, how to look at our fellow Christians, how to look and treat the world and what kind of attitudes that we should have. And uh, Lord, we will readily confess in our own hearts that uh, for a lot of us, there is a, a strong scribe, there is a strong Sadducee, there's a strong uh, Pharisee and who wants things to be a certain way, resistant to change. And we encumber our relationship with you or with all of our ideas or the things that are dominant within our personality. And we thank you so much for these uh, revelations, Jesus, of your heart and your way to push back on all of that in our lives in order to keep us free, in order to make us like you, and make us a blessing, Lord, to other Christians and to the world that is all around us. Thank you for this sweet time in, our wor in your word, uh, looking at you this evening. And we thank you tonight in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen.